Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88000. This morning's going to be a little bit more like a family meeting. How many of y'all have family meetings with your families? Like, everybody, come into the living room. Family meeting, right? Like, we got we to get on the same page with this. Uh, nobody raised their hand, but I would assume you have family meetings. And uh, if you don't, you should probably have family meetings. It might help your families. Uh, but when you do that, it's because, hey, we're just noticing something. We, we're noticing a trend. We're noticing there's there's this reoccurring thing that's happening, and we need to adjust this. This, this is not the direction that we want to head. Uh, it happened last night, like right before our kids went to bed last night. We, we called them into the room and just like, hey, we need, we need to talk about this. There's an attitude that's going on. We just need to, we need to correct this. And so that's what this morning is. It's more of a, of a family meeting. So if you're visiting here, uh, I want you to know this is not the typical sermon that you would probably hear. Uh, I don't even know really that it is a sermon. It definitely progressed. The more I worked on it, the more I was looking at it. But it, it was really just a, a thought, a feeling, something was happening in my personal devotional time that I felt like I needed to talk about. And so uh, during this season, this season, how many of y'all are kind of sick of hearing that phrase? I, I know I'm sick of it and sick of using it. But uh, during this crazy time in history, however you want to say it, over the last couple of years, uh, but probably more in the last few months especially, I have a lot of people approach me and they have questions or they want to influence me and in some respects just straight up put pressure on me to address some of the current issues, what I would call the signs of our times. And people have very passionate opinions about current issues, different subjects. And even in this room, there are people in both ditches on any given subject about things that are happening in our culture. And I will say that some of these issues, people have made moral or biblical issues, and they're not. They've made, they, and, and, and honestly, I've seen people in both ditches take scripture out of context to try to support opinion. When the word doesn't talk clearly about the subjects, okay? It just doesn't. But when people come to me and, and talk to me and, and, and try to tell me, hey, we, you need to say something about this. You need to use your platform and use your influence to say something. I want you to know I got plenty of personal opinions. Uh, if you know me personally, you know I've got some opinions, all right? Uh, but also try to walk in wisdom. But when people come and they, they kind of put that on me, this is my response. I am doing my very best and fail at times, but do my very best to respond to everything that I'm seeing, experiencing, 
the way that Jesus would. I am trying my level best to respond the way Jesus would. The thing that's encouraging about that is everything that we are going through that are related to these subjects and these issues, Jesus lived in, did ministry in, and commissioned the church to live and operate in very, very similar situations and circumstances. During Jesus' ministry alone, there were political, major political issues, economical issues, you better believe it, racial issues like you wouldn't believe, diseases, pandemics. Have you ever heard of leprosy? Okay, so Jesus was navigating and doing ministry and having relationships during a lot of the same. Now, you can say, oh, it's a different culture. Sure, okay, I'll give you that. But at one point or another, if we can't agree on what I'm getting ready to say, then we have an issue. I believe that Jesus' teachings, his character, and his biblical instruction are just as relevant and true today as they were when the day he said them. They either are or they're not. So either Jesus's character is our goal, <laughs> our aim as Christians, Christ-like people, either that is who we are aiming to be like or we have missed the whole thing, okay? Like no other person in history, no other person in our history, no other evangelist, no other pastor or preacher, Christ alone. Christ alone. He's our example. He's our standard. I hope we can agree on that. But I would suggest this, that even though culture is different, the same crowds and mindsets that existed during Jesus' time exist right now. I want to talk through some of those. These are not all of the crowds probably, but they're the ones that I think are the most prevalent. And the disclaimer in this is I have existed in, fought alongside, and collaborated with each one of these crowds at one point or another in the last year and a half to two years. I have. And so this is not me pointing the finger or slamming anybody. It's me saying, I've recognized some of this in my own life and in my brothers and sisters in Christ, and I just want us to be aware. The crowds then and now are very similar. The first crowd is this, the I just want to go back to normal crowd. How many of you have felt that at one point or another? I just want to go back to normal. Whatever we have to do to get back to normal. Well, the Israelites have been under Roman rule for a long time. You better believe they wanted to go back to normal. They wanted their traditions. They wanted their freedoms, their liberties. They wanted those things. Honestly, the religious people of the time were the people that were holding on to this the most. The Pharisees certainly 
wanted to try to get things as normal as possible. They didn't want anything messing with their normal. And they would use the law to justify ostracizing people like the sick, the lame, the people that they felt were sinners. Because as long as those people were kind of out of sight, out of mind, they could still do their normal. They wanted their normal. Why do we want normal? Why do we want normal? I think sometimes, for me, it's because normal gives me a sense of security. I think because normal gives me a sense of control of my destiny. Like if it's normal, then I feel like I got this. I can control this. But let's just be honest, it's comfortable. I mean, really, that's what we want, right? (laughs) Can I just go back to being a little more comfortable? I get that. But God is eternally more concerned about our character than he is about us being comfortable. In Isaiah 43, 18, this is a prophecy about the coming of Jesus. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you, do you not perceive it? And I think that is a great question. Do you perceive what he's trying to do? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. In other words, he wants to bring life. A couple of years ago, maybe not two years exactly, but we sat down, all the pastors, all the different campuses and everything, and, and we recognized that in some ways our churches had headed in a direction that none of us had intended to and that we knew was not where God want us, wanted us to go. And what I mean by that is we recognized that the carnality of our culture had attached itself to so many of the people in our churches. Like a lot of people in our our church congregations had become very carnal. And we recognize that, that the responsibility ultimately is ours and we recognize the need in discipleship. We recognize we've got to cultivate discipleship so that our people have the character that comes about in discipleship, the desire for the word of God and its truth. And so we repented. We started thinking of ways immediately that we could implement to help us with that, to help bring about stronger discipleship. Within a few months, the pandemic hit. And that challenged us even more because we couldn't at that point then use the platform that we would normally use to try to gather people to insert them into positions of discipleship. And we just had to, the Holy Spirit helped us though. And that's when we started doing the life of Christ study 
where we just got to break down scripture and teach people about who Jesus was and why he did what he did. And there was nothing normal about it. It was just, it was completely out of, it was different. And during that season, I think a lot of sifting and shaking happened with people. It still is happening. Uh, Some people walked away from the church altogether. We feel like we did everything we could to go after them. We still love them. We still pray for them. We still hope they come back. Some wandered off, but the Holy Spirit chased them down. Or we went and got them and brought them back. But some people found a deeper connection and appreciation for the body of Christ than ever before. And the fruit out of that season is we have seen more passion for worship, the word, forgiving, serving, and biblical community than we would have seen in normal. I think there's been more conviction and repentance in the last, at this campus in the last year and a half than we probably previously seen as a church. The percentages of salvations and, and baptisms are much higher. We have 20-something people getting baptized today, alone. Can I just be honest? I don't think we're ever going back to normal. I, 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 I don't want that to be discouraging to anyone, but it shouldn't be. We are not going back to normal. And in my experience with human nature, the supernatural things that we hunger for and desire don't happen in normal. They just don't. So I'd rather not have normal and have more of Jesus. There's also the I'm just afraid or worried crowd. I've said that. Man, I'm just afraid that I'm just worried that, well, Jesus had some of that in his time, and he addressed it. So I just want to read some scripture to you, Matthew 6, 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow, they do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. 
but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all. Everybody say all. All these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Some of y'all are like, well, I'm not worried about clothes. Uh, I'm not worried about food. He's just using the basic elements of life to illustrate a bigger picture. He's got you. But you know where I hear more of the worry and the fear surrounding? And I think especially in our demographic, in our community. It's worry and fear around our kids. Okay, I'm a dad. I have four kids. I think you have to be really careful not to assume that you love your kids more than somebody else loves their kids. Okay, I just want to throw that out there. But I I will ask this. Do you think that God is surprised about the day and age that your kids are alive in? If you can trust him for your own life, and maybe that's the first step, don't you think that you can also trust him for your kids' lives? Here's another question. Whose kids are they really? Because maybe the problem is you've gotten off track there and forgot. They are his. He has trusted you with them to steward their lives towards him. Towards him. Towards his kingdom and all of his righteousness. That is what he has asked you to do. That is is our number one responsibility. We have to remember that God loves our kids infinitely more than we do. And instead of fear and worry, I think that what we should be exhibiting and communicating to our children is a sense of excitement in destiny that God picked us to be alive for such a time as this. And since he picked us to be alive for such a time as this, he has got big plans for their lives. And he is trusting us to point them towards him so that they can fulfill that. That is what's most important. There's also the, I've got to fight for what's right crowd. Man, this one's hard for me to reconcile because I'm a fighter. And a lover, but mostly. (laughs) I hate injustice. I hate injustice. If you know my testimony, a lot of people that grew up with low means and struggles and getting picked on a lot, when they get big, they don't like bullies however those bullies present themselves. And so I get it. I'm a fighter. Look, Jesus ran money changers out of the temple. That's the one people like to point to. 
Jesus got mad. Please don't use that scripture out of context. More importantly, what Jesus said is be angry, but do not sin. Fine, be angry, but do not sin. He certainly had a lot of strong things to say about unity in the body of Christ. And about how we treat our brothers and sisters. In Jesus' time, they had these people called the Zealots. Okay, and the Zealots were fed up with the Roman government. They were fed up with the oppression and the tyranny. Uh, so they, they were like trained assassins, basically. They just created as much havoc as they possibly could with the Roman Empire. Uh, one of the disciples was a zealot. And so Jesus definitely operated in a time where there were people that felt like, we've got to fight this thing. He rebuked his disciples a couple of times when they tried to fight the wrong way. Ephesians 6, 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. This isn't in your notes. You're probably familiar with it. Ephesians 6, 12. You can look it up later. Against powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces and the evil, or in the evil, of evil in the heavenly realms. Okay, so what this is saying is, if you ever wanna have a hope to fight the right way in the natural, you better understand that the fight starts in the spiritual first. And the first thing you gotta understand that is fighting is the enemy is fighting for your attention and he is fighting for your attitude and he is fighting for your mind. And just because you're a believer doesn't mean that you are not susceptible to the plan of the enemy to distract you and to lure you in to fights that are not in alignment with God's will, not a part of his plan. I have an overwhelming sense of justice and you can see it in my kids. There are a couple of my kids, I promise you, if it's something at school or if it's something at home, if there is injustice happening, they will come and they, Dad, oh, you said this and I'm doing that. But the rest of them, <laughs> none of them are doing it. And it's not fair. And when I hear that, honestly, I want to be like, you're right. But it's also a coaching moment to say, this isn't about fair. I'm glad you're doing what you're supposed to do. God's grace, blessing, and covering will be on you for being obedient. You can trust me and you can trust God to do what he needs to do with your siblings that are being rebellious. You don't have to carry that weight. You're under authority. You don't have to carry that weight. Another thing that I tell them is the right thing 
said the wrong time or in the wrong tone with the wrong motive can still be the wrong thing to say. In other words, you can be so right you're wrong. And how that happens is when you get out of step with the Holy Spirit, when you approach fights in the flesh, you have already lost, even if you win. You've lost. More than likely, not only have you lost, but you've hurt your testimony. And honestly, you've hurt the body of Christ. 2 Corinthians 10.3 says this, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And I had to look at that and say, how many arguments have I participated in and how many arguments have I shut down in a gracious and loving way? It's a little bit of both. So I'm not saying there's not a time to stand. And I'm not saying there isn't a time to fight. I'm just saying that if in your flesh you don't know when that is and you won't do it in the right way. You won't do it in a way that glorifies God. There are injustices that God definitely cares about, without a doubt. But when you are shouting where God is whispering, you will have a tendency to whisper where God is shouting. In other words, some people, including myself, are majoring on the minors and minoring on the majors. What is the heart of God really passionate about right now that he would love for us to be yelling from the rooftops, but we're so busy yelling about all this other stuff that is not essential to our faith, has nothing to do with heaven and hell, that we can't hear him whispering trying to tell us what he'd like us to say. So the question is, are you in step with what is just, right, and fair? Or are you in step with the Holy Spirit? Jesus said this, they will know that you are my disciples by your love for each other. That's how they'll know. How will the world know who the Christ followers are? By how we love people. That's how. The I'm just desperate to be with and like Jesus crowd. I want you to know, again, none of these crowds are mutually exclusive. Uh, even Jesus' closest disciples had a tendency to operate in and out of some of these crowds. And so I'm not saying that any of these crowds are inherently wrong or evil. I'm just saying, keep the main thing the main thing so that you don't get sucked into one of these crowds and away from the presence of God. Romans 12, 2 says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and prove what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
Okay? I believe that we are living in the last days. I believe we're living in the days leading up to the rapture and the tribulation. Uh, it doesn't matter to me when the rapture happens. I it doesn't matter to me if it happens pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, post-tribulation. I don't care. Everything prophetically speaking has happened that needs to take place for Jesus' return. I think that so many of the things that are happening around us are strong indicators that at least the spirit of the Antichrist is in operation on our planet, without a doubt. Whether or not he is alive, existing, I don't know. I think he probably is. But I believe we're living in the last days. So if you're visiting or you're not around church, I know this is like, what in the world is going on right now? What is he talking about? Well, this is a part of our faith. This is a part of learning and growing and understanding our faith. I will say this. Uh, you're probably not going to find me doing a 40-week study on the book of Revelation. That is not my wheelhouse. I believe it's incredibly important to read it, to understand it as best you can. But some of the reason why I'm talking about what I'm talking about today is because I've been reading through the prophets. And I just see over and over and over again these connections that, that have me very convinced and convicted that we are living in the last days. And, uh, and, and I will say this. If you, if you want more in-depth study about Revelation, uh, end times prophecy, I think one of the most balanced, well-studied, and articulate people that are teaching on the subject today is Jimmy Evans. Uh, he has a book called The Tipping Point. Is that right? No. Right, Tipping Point. Yeah, Tipping Point. But he also has a podcast. And he, he, just, he knows the word. He knows the scripture around Revelation. And so I want to just throw that out there. We will probably wind up doing, we've done messages and series on Revelation before. I'm sure we'll probably do it again. But I'd like to get you ahead. Um, but I think we need an awakening. You know, I was thinking about the semantics of, of those, these, these two words, revival and awakening. In the course of our nation, we have had revivals and we've had great awakenings. And, but when I look at revival, see, revival suggests that something is dead and needs to be brought back to life. I don't think that's the issue. I think the issue is the church is asleep and needs to be woken up. We can't pretend like we're not living in the days we're living in. Here's the thing. I don't know if, if Jesus is coming back tomorrow, next year, five years or 10 years. I don't know. But here's the question. What would I change today if I knew he was coming back tomorrow? And if I was willing and felt the conviction to change that today, why would I not go ahead and change it even if he's coming back in 10 years and live that way? And just live that way. Here's what I know. When I get raptured, uh, we've, already, we've already talked about it. We're gonna leave instructions in our house 
for whoever takes it over. A letter. It's going to start with, sorry you missed out. Instructions on how to get saved. People will get saved even after the rapture. Uh, We're going to give them a list of all the things that still need to be done with the house. (laughs) Where the paint is and all the paint colors. Cody will give her all the design instructions. Um, But when I stand before Jesus, when I stand before Jesus, I want to be able to look into his eyes and know that when he found me and called me home, that I was doing everything that I possibly could with my talents, with my time, with my treasure, with my relationships, with everything that he's given me. I did everything and was doing everything I could to build, first and foremost, my personal intimate relationship with him and to let that manifest into my marriage and overflow into my kids, that I was fulfilling my first responsibility in first ministry to my wife, and that I was very laser focused on having the priority of my kids falling in love with Jesus more than they thought I was a good, fun dad. I want them to fall in love with Jesus. He is their hope. I think being a fun dad can help you point kids towards Jesus. And that outside of that, that hopefully the testimony of my life reached people and made an eternal difference. Because at that point, it is all that matters. That's it. In Revelation 21.4, this is... This, this revelation given to John the Beloved of Jesus, but of the heavenly realms, of, of this, this, this encounter, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. But it has always been peculiar to me. Why would anyone be crying in front of Jesus? I don't know all the reasons why. I don't want my tears to be because in light of eternity and standing before my Savior and Lord, I realized how much time, energy, and words I wasted instead of being focused on what really matters. Because I think that will be a reason for some of the tears. God, why didn't I see it? This is not the most encouraging thing I'm gonna say today, but I am not convinced that every person that enters into heaven gets a well done, good and faithful servant. I'm not convinced of that. I think God is a truth teller. I think Jesus is a truth teller. And if he's going to call somebody a good and faithful servant, he will tell people that, that we're faithful. They just held on. They held on to what was most important. No matter what, they were faithful to that. I also know this, 
no matter what, there will not be an ounce of disappointment coming from Jesus. Not an ounce. Even as, some, as we are wrestling with the heartbreak of what we might have missed out on or what we just didn't see, even while we are struggling with maybe that last little bit of guilt before we're transformed, that even if we're in that spot, Jesus is not disappointed in us. And I'm thankful for that too. But when he comes back, I just wanna be found in the right crowd. I just wanna be found in the right crowd. It's Christ and Christ alone. It's him, it's his life, it's his character, it's his death, burial and resurrection. And that we were a people that used our platforms, our careers, everything that God has entrusted us with as a means to an end to bring our King glory and to build his kingdom. If you believe that, say amen. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. The first place to start is relationship with Jesus. It is a surrender. And the surrender to Jesus is not just forgiveness of your sins. It's a transformation of your heart. That's where that, that word comes in, repentance. It's not just I need to be forgiven of my sins, but I need to be transformed in the way I think, in the way I behave. I need to stop and turn away from being conformed into the pattern of this world and to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. And if you're here today and you've never made that decision, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, or it's very real and obvious to you that you need to come back to him, you're away from him. You need to be reconciled to the Father. If you're in that place, I'd love to pray with you. And I'd ask that you'd be willing just to admit and confess. To me as a pastor, your brother in Christ, that you need him. If you're willing to do that, will you put your hand up right now, wherever you're sitting? I just wanna know who I'm praying with. Gotcha. Yes, ma'am. Anyone else, I need Jesus, I'm away from him. I need to make him my Lord and Savior. Thank you, I have you, I got you. Yes, ma'am. Got you, brother. I got you, man. Anyone else? I'm away from God. I got him. We're going to say a simple prayer of repentance. You can say this prayer out loud, and that would be my encouragement. I think it's important for your own ears to hear, for the enemy to hear a declaration of your faith. I do think it's important that you do declare it and you declare it soon that you made a decision to follow Jesus. Tell somebody. After our second service today, we're gonna have water baptism. That's the way that we as Christians, as believers, declare our faith in Jesus to everyone around us. And I'd encourage you to do that if you haven't. 
but talk to Jesus and say this. Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. My sin separates me from you. But I believe you came and you died on the cross for me. You paid the price for my sin. I ask for your forgiveness for my sin. I also believe that you rose from the grave. So not only can I be forgiven of my sin, but I can be set free from the power of sin and the power of death. And because of that, I have the hope of heaven that whenever you come, I'll stand before you as a son or daughter. But I don't wanna just wait for that day. I wanna start operating and living as a son or daughter now that brings glory to my heavenly father, that, that lives in such a way, the way I love people and the way that I hold tightly to your word and led by your spirit that people can see that there's a difference in me before I ever even open my mouth to say something. Help me live in my purpose. And the only way I can accomplish that is to make you Lord. So be Lord. I repent. I repent. I turn away from my sin. I turn away from living for the world. I want to live for you with all of my heart, all my life. In Jesus' name, amen.